0: So uh, this weekend, we are in week two of our series, Tighten the Knot, and one of our goals as a church, one of the main things that we want to do, is we want to grow strong families here in the town of Quin Creek. We believe that a strong family builds a strong community, builds a strong church, and so we want to help moms and dads, uh, daughters and sons, uh, grandparents, we want to help all of us be stronger in our families. And so we started this series last week where we're looking at what it takes to have a stronger family marriage and so we're calling it tighten the knot and so but one thing I said last week was if you are single please do not check out on me over the next couple of weeks because there are things in every one of these messages where you can say well I can just take that and I can build much stronger relationships in my life with that principle. The principles that, that create a strong marriage are the same principles that will create strong relationships in your life. Do you guys see what I'm saying? This means yes this means no this means I don't know all right yes it means the same thing so the the principles that we bring into our marriage are going to create uh, strong relationships so if you're single here just go ahead and listen jot some notes down think about how this can affect you how you can take these ideas and put them into your relationships if you're looking for a spouse right because we want people to get married, that's a good thing. Marriage is a good thing. If you're looking for a spouse, some of these things are a good checklist for you. And so you may be thinking, well, I wanted to have a nice boat, or I wanted to have a good job, or I want her to, you know, be really, really. Uh, you know, sweet around kids or whatever, whatever it is that you're looking for in a spouse, whatever checklist that you kind of put together in your head, maybe this series will help you in maybe adding to that or taking some things away um, and deciding what's really important and biblical when you're looking for a spouse. So, you guys ready for week two of Tighten the Knight? Let's go. Uh, last week we kicked off this series. And we said we needed a better definition of love. It's not the gooey-gooey feeling that you see in the movies or in the pop songs on the radio, but love has a different definition. Jesus said in John 15, 13, that greater love has none than this than someone laid down his life for his friends. So in laying down my life to meet the needs of someone else, that is what love is all about. We said that ultimately Philippians 4 tells us that God supplies our needs. And so God's responsible for meeting our needs. So if you're in a marriage that's unfulfilled, take that to God. Take that need to God. When your marriage is being fulfilled, when when things are all going right, then what, what's happening there actually is I'm partnering with God to meet the needs of our spouse. And how awesome is that? Many of us... We've been on mission trips and we've gone all all over the world or or maybe we've served in soup kitchens or homeless shelters and we've met the needs of people that we don't even know their name. We've met the needs of people, we're meeting them for the very first time and we're partnering with God to do that. We understand that. We understand that concept and that's why we do missions. That's why we serve in our community. And so, in reality, we in our homes can do the same thing. I can partner with God to meet the needs of, our, of my spouse, so we need a better definition of love. Today, the title of the message is, My Response is My Responsibility. My response is my responsibility. One of the most destructive wars in human history was World War I. And the reason why it was destructive is because they developed this new type of warfare called trench warfare. Estimates uh, put the total number of casualties, that's people killed or wounded, at 40 million people. And when you hear these stats, you think, well, every person, there was a number that's attached to it. There's a name, there's a story, there's someone that loved them, there's someone that they loved. And what made this so destructive, what made this war so destructive, was trench warfare. Each side dug a system of ditches. And in those ditches, they camped in there. And that was their side, and they're not giving up that ground at all. They're gonna get in there, they're gonna stick in, and and on top of those trenches, there were barbed wires, there were machine guns, and so the, the space between the ditches was called no man's land. And if you went into no man's land, it was pretty much sure that you were gonna die there, right? And so what happens is is that it would just set up this stalemate. For comparison, the Battle of Gettysburg in the Civil War lasted three days. The battle of the Somme in World War I lasted 140 days. This is what happens when sides dig ditches. They dig in and they say, I am not going to give any ground. It is my way. This is what's going to happen. And it's got to go this way. I'm not going to give up on what I think or what I do, what I say. And this, is, this side dug in, this side dug in. No one is giving any ground and no one is taking any ground. Sadly, when we look at the state of most marriages today, many marriages, they don't resemble two people coming together to attack an issue. Instead, some marriages look like trench warfare. I'm gonna dig into my position. And if you don't agree to my position, I'm not given any ground. And because you're not because this person decides to live like this this person decides to live like this, there creates this no man's land of nothing is happening, nothing healthy is happening, people aren't coming together, and, and, and it's destructive to marriage. It's destructive when when it has to be my way. When Liz and I, we got married and uh, we were, I had been married a couple years and I learned a trick, and I'm gonna teach you that trick this morning, right? Um, I was, I'm a pretty black and white dude. Like, there's a there's a right way to do things, and there's a wrong way to do things. And here's the problem with black and white people. And some of you guys are black and white people, right? If there's a right way and a wrong way to do things, then I have an opinion of what the right way is, right? And so, what happens with black and white people when they're in a relationship with someone else is there's my way of doing things and then there's the wrong way of doing things, right? That's what happens. People, they, they get caught in this this idea of there's a black and white, there's my way or the highway, there's my way or the wrong way. And so if there was any disagreement, it ended up being trench warfare. It ended up being we're digging into our positions and we're not going to give any ground. But I learned something. If I stopped for a second trying to defend my position. And I just listened to what she was saying. And I understood her perspective. And I actually tried to hear her. I, I, I needed to stop. I needed to hear what she had to say. But, but in the whole time, I knew that I was right, right? Because there's a right way and wrong way. There's my way, you know, that's, that's what I knew inside of me. And so what I had to learn was I had to learn how to genuinely apologize genuinely humble myself in the situation genuinely listen to what she's having to say even though i thought that i was right and so many of us we we when we're approaching relationships the idea is that that i have to be right how is it even possible that i can humble myself and apologize and still be right the way that you do this is you prioritize the need for her or for your for him for your spouse over the need to be right. You can still have a point of view. You can still have a way to think that this is the way that we need to go. This is the direction we need to go. And here's what I here's the, the perspective that I'm seeing. I'm not saying just bend over and lay down and just just decide that that life is is going to be what it is and let the, uh, let someone else walk all over you. That's not what I'm saying. You can still have a point of view, but when we prioritize the relationship over our point of view, then we can learn to build some middle ground. We take away the trench warfare of it. And so so I had to learn how to apologize, how to humble myself, how to to, to listen to her, even when I thought I was right. Winning an argument is no longer winning for my point of view. Instead, it became about us coming together and getting on the same side to attack the issue. The health of your marriage requires that you be unified. you got to get and stay on the same team. No marriage will ever be successful if it's set up like trench warfare. We have to be unified. So the question is, what is unity? What is unity? If we need to be unified, then we have, we have to know what unity is. So is unity agreement? Is it just simply agreeing with someone else? No, it's not, it can't be. Each of you have your own point of view, your own history in life, your own life experience, your own hopes and dreams, your own mistakes and failures. You are 100% unique and it does not matter how long you've been married, you could be married for six days or you could be married for 60 years, it does not matter how long you've been married, you will still have your own perspective and if any of us saw something and we looked at something, we would all have a different perspective. And so agreement is not just saying, and unity is not just saying that I agree with whatever they say. I just agree, you know, if they, if they say this, the sky is, is green and the grass is blue, I'm just gonna say, okay, yeah, I agree with you. No, that's not what it is. Unity is when we, we, we need to we come together and we get on the same page. In the most destructive marriages, agreement plays out like this, one of the spouses is more of a bully, who's the more aggressive one, and they just overrun the more passive one into submission. And this is not what we're talking about when we talk about unity. This week I had to get an an eye exam, and I, I didn't have glasses until I was 32 years old, guys. 32 years old, right? How is that possible? I have a well without getting weird, I have a astigmatism that just made it happen later in my adult life, right? And so I, I had to get glasses, and I remember going to the doctor the very first time to get the glasses. We were, uh, well before that, I was at home watching direct TV, right? They have the little channel menu of all the stuff that's coming up, and I was just flipping through and I told Liz, I was like, Liz, uh, we need to get a new TV. She goes, no we don't. And I said, no, we, we need to get a new TV. Look how blurry that TV is. And she goes, Jeff, that TV's not blurry. Go get your eyes checked, right? And so I went to go get my eyes checked. First time seeing the doctor, to get my eyes checked. And she, the doctor did my exam. And uh, she and I told her, I was like, I've never had glasses before. It's my first time doing it. And I'm coming in, just talking to her and stuff. And she stops and then and she goes, Did you drive yourself here? And I said, Yes. And she goes, Okay, um, get home. Don't do that again, <laughs> right? I was blind, right? And so, anyway, I had to go get another eye exam this week. And um, there's all this expensive equipment in the room. There's all these screens and computers and, and just different things, lenses that they pull over your face and all this crazy stuff that's happening in the room, right? But one of the most important pieces of equipment in the eye exam room is a black-looking plastic spoon thing. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Do you guys have an eye exam? The little black plastic spoon. And what it is, is basically that you're looking at the screen that, where it tells you what the numbers are and they're trying to see how blind you are. And what you'll do is you'll hold your hand, or you'll hold your spoon over one eye, and you'll read it with this eye. And then she'll say, okay, okay, we gotta dial it in, now switch. So then you hold it over this eye and you see what this says, right? And it's different. My prescription's not the same. This eye's different than this eye. Most people are like that, right? Most people, your eyes are different. They work together for you to have a clear vision for life. Not the same, but they work together. And as I was praying and getting ready for this message, I thought about how marriage is really like that. Marriage is really like that. So you're not, I'm not expecting my wife to have the same point of view, the same view of the world that I am. That's not the type of agreement that we're going to have. And some, some of you guys, you may think, man, we, we disagree on things. We must be in trouble. You disagree on things because you're human. It's what you do in that disagreement that that, that either determines the health of your relationship or the the destructiveness of your relationship. And so what I learned when I was doing my eye exam is I I have have my right side that I see clearly that when I covered it up with the little black thing, covered this up, now I'm I'm getting everything dialed in on this side. Then she's like, switch. Well, immediately when she switched, I couldn't see anything out of this side because it's different. I couldn't see anything. But but as as she dialed this in, now when I pulled the, the thing away and now I'm looking at the board from both eyes, now I see everything clearly. When we're talking about unity in marriage, it's about coming together. It's when all perspectives, left side and right side, his side and her side, are genuinely heard, then both sides come together and find the best way to move forward. Unity takes into account All of his wisdom and his skill and his experience and all of her wisdom and her skill and her experience. And when we disagree, because of course we are, we're going to hear each other out and we're going to try to come together. Sometimes I need to take a back seat even when I think I'm right. I know when the doctor was working on my right eye uh, that uh, that I had to get it dialed in, that I needed to cover up my left eye, that I needed to put the perspective of my left eye to the back for a little bit to let the doctor work on my right eye. And for some of our marriages, we're so self-centered and we're so self-consumed that we don't ever take the time to sit back and say, you know what, maybe I need to hear out what that other person is saying. Maybe I need to see things from their, their perspective a little bit. Maybe I need to listen for a little bit. Maybe I need to take my perspective and maybe I need to cover it up for a second to get something healthy going on. Or maybe God's doing something in them. Maybe God's doing something in them and I just need to lay low for a second and let God do the work in them. You see what I'm saying? The perspective of us working together, my left side and my right side, his side and her side, that is what leads to a healthy marriage. The big idea here is one called mutual submission. Say that with me. Mutual submission. Ephesians 5 talks about it. And we're going to read through Ephesians 5 here real quick. Ephesians 5, verse. Uh, let's start in verse 21. Submitting to one another... Out of reverence for Christ wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church his body and himself its Savior now it it is uh, the church submit now as the church submits to Christ so also wives submit in everything to their husbands verse 25 husbands love your wives Some ladies are like, wait a second, I have to submit that all he has to do is love? That's not right. What is this? Remember last week when we said we need a better definition of love. We need a better definition of love for our marriages. So let's look at that word love real quick. Paul, when he's writing this, he uses the Greek word agape, and that's different than the other words that they use for love, that you would usually see for affection for one's family. Agape, this guy named Folk said this in 1989, Agape is totally unselfish that seeks not its own satisfaction nor affection answering affection that strives for the highest good for the one that is loved. This love has a standard and a model, uh, the model that is the love of Christ for his church. It means not only a practical concern for welfare of the other, but a continual readiness to, wait a second, subordinate one's own pleasure and advantage for the benefit of the other. It implies patience and kindness, humility and courtesy, trust and support. This love means that one is eager to understand what the needs and interests are of the other and will do everything in his power to supply those needs and further those interests. So ladies now, are you okay when it says husband's love? your wives it's an idea of mutual submission she's submitting to him he's laying his life down he's submitting his needs his wants his desires for the betterment of her it husbands love your wives Ephesians five twenty five. as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Men, how beautiful she appears to you has a lot to do with how you treat her. If you want a beautiful wife, sacrificially love her. Paul tells wives to submit and honor their husbands. He tells husbands to sacrificially lay down their lives for their wives. In both cases, we see submission. Therefore, the strength of a marriage is in the capacity that we have for submission to each other. The strength of our marriage comes from the capacity that we have to submit to each other. If you wanna be prideful and arrogant and combative and demand your own way and be spoiled and be lazy and be selfish, you cannot have a strong marriage. Notice none of these things have anything to do with the posture or the attitude of your spouse. Well, if she just listened to me or if he wasn't so stubborn. No, it's about your posture and your attitude and what you're bringing in to the marriage. So what's more important to you? That you win the argument or that you're winning in your marriage. We've got to stop the trench warfare. You've got to notice when it's happening in your home. You've got to notice when it's happening in in, in your life. When a situation arises in life, your response is your contribution to that situation. Think about it. When a situation arises, when a bill comes up that you didn't know about, right? You didn't know about it. You didn't make a contribution to that, right? So what happens is, is now we have this issue that's here. It's sitting here, and we got to deal with it, right? My response is now my contribution to whatever that issue is. And so I can either throw, we got this flame, we have this bonfire sitting in the middle of our house of an issue that we're having to deal with. I can either throw water on that by my response, or I can throw gas on that. It's my choice. It's my choice. And so we have to decide that I want to win at marriage. I don't want need to win an argument. I don't need to blame the other person. I don't need to come out making it where it's not my fault. It doesn't matter who, whose fault it is doesn't matter. Whose responsibility it is at that point, it doesn't matter. What matters is, is that we come together for the betterment of the marriage. That's what matters. Am I throwing gas on the situation or am I throwing Water. To so win at marriage, we have to submit. Therefore, my response in every situation is my responsibility. You're still going to argue. You're still, you're still going to disagree. You're still going to have your own points of view. You're, you're two different eyes looking at things differently in the same household. Right? You're still going to have different things. But it, but when you look at it this way, when you look at it how Paul is, when you operate under mutual submission, it changes the way that you argue. My mother-in-law, uh, she lived with us for a long time in my marriage, and as Liz and I like, figured this stuff out and you know, praying through it, and God shaping us and molding us into having, uh, being the type of husband and wife that we needed to be, um, <laughs> my, my mother-in-law one day, she was sitting on our couch in our living room. We, we have one of those uh, where the kitchen and the dining room and the, the living room is all connected, right? Most of our houses are built like that now. And so my mother-in-law was sitting in the living room, and Liz and I were arguing about something. I don't even remember. Just disagreeing. And all of a sudden, my mother-in-law, sitting on the couch, chimes in, and she never has a problem with that. If you met her, you'd know. I mean, she never has a problem with just chiming in, and she goes, she stops us and in, and she goes, y'all fight weird. (laughs) She She goes, you're like, like, disagreeing with each other, but you're smiling at each other the whole time. Like, what is that? Who does that? You know, just totally like making it weird. Like, what, what is it that we're doing? Why is it that we're doing that? And I realized that, yes, we may argue, but we're, and we may be passionate about our point of view. However, we can smile at each other because we're more passionate about each other. This is how mutual submission plays out. And I would love to tell you that I nail it every time and never say or do anything stupid, but I do it all the time. All the time. And so my response to the situation is my responsibility. But when I mess up, which I do, which you will do, my response is or my responsibility is also to go make it right. We have to quickly learn to apologize for when we drop the ball because we value the other person. Time does not heal all wounds. And some of you, you come from a house to where if we don't talk about it, then it doesn't exist, right? If we don't talk about it, if we don't say that there's an issue, if we don't say that mom and dad are having financial problems, then the financial problems aren't there. You guys know people like that? If we don't say that that, that the kids are acting up, then the kids aren't really acting up. If we don't say that I'm not being humble and I'm not being and I'm being prideful and I'm doing things my own way and I'm being selfish and I don't admit to this and I don't apologize and I don't humble myself then eventually the other person will just not be mad at me anymore and we won't have to talk about it. Right? But what I learned is that I have to humble myself. My response is my responsibility. Even when I mess up, I have to humble myself, learn to apologize, not just wait for the other person to come down. Because if I just do that, then did the issue really ever resolve itself? No. So what happens is, is the next time that I make her mad or I do something stupid, because there will be a next time, because I I do that. I'm, I'm a preacher. I talk. I stick my foot in my mouth. That's what happens, right? So I, I, I do that. I'm going to stick my foot in my mouth, but if I don't apologize and address it with her right then, if I don't pull that out, if I don't humble myself, if I just pretend it never happened, let her calm down, then what happens? The next time I make her mad, this issue that I didn't apologize for just gets attached to the next issue and it makes that issue bigger. Right? And so I have to learn how to humble myself even when i messed up, go to that person and say, I sorry on the flip side if I always carry wrong if I always carry whatever it is that that person did to me and I never take it to Jesus and I never it say Jesus, I'm gonna forgive them even if they don't apologize, even if they don't do, even if they don't admit that they're wrong, even if they don't do that. I, I, I'm just gonna carry this hurt. That's like the carrying unforgiveness. You guys have probably heard this. is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That's what it is, right? And so, even if the other person doesn't apologize, even if my spouse does wrong and they don't apologize. I have to take responsibility because I want to bring health into the relationship. And so now I've got to learn how to forgive regardless, right? So I'm serving the needs of my spouse by learning how to forgive. I'm serving the needs of my spouse by learning how to apologize. We're coming together, left eye, right eye, left side, right side, his side, her side. We're coming together for the health of the marriage. My response is mine. Responsibility. Taking responsibility in your marriage comes in three forms, and we'll wrap up with this. Number one, my attitude. I take responsibility for my attitude. Am I putting their needs above mine? Am I putting their needs above mine? Most of the time when you're putting your own needs up in front of their needs, when it's your way or the highway, when you dug a trench, right, that's going to show up in your attitude. Take responsibility for your attitude. Number two, my approach. My approach. Taking responsibility for marriage, three forms. Number two, my approach. Am I considering their point of view? Do I understand that what the, the way that they see the world, the way that they the, the way that they uh, approach life, their gifts and their talents, and everything that God has put into them, and the, the vision that God has given them for their life, and the way that the way that God all the things that God has brought them through is actually a gift to me, to make my life more enriched, to make my life better, to make me more well-rounded. If it was just my view, I'm only ever going to be as good as me right? If I take into account what they're saying, then now it's not just as good as me, it's as good as us, right? My approach, I'm taking responsibility for my approach. Am I considering their point of view? Finally, am I taking responsibility for my actions? How do I need to be better? How do I need? When is the last time you asked the people that are closest to you in your life, your spouse, your friends, the people that, that you love the most, the people that are closest to you, how can I be better at this relationship? And then interrupt them, let them talk. When's the last time you did that? Most people can't. It's so hard. But I, but, but I know, that's not what... I, uh, No, how can I be better, and then just let it go. Hear it, hear it.